morning, church. My name's Luke, I'm one of the ministers here. It's good to be together today. Merry Christmas. Yeah, I, and man, y'all sound like, I'm, is anybody tired today? Anybody just tired? Man, I am feeling it. You know, we, uh, like, it feels like we've been hearing Christmas music for six months now, you know, and I just gotta say, I'm tired this morning. And we keep hearing about how the holidays are a time to be like, just relax and hang, time, hang out and spend time with the people you love, you know? And it like, really, it feels like we're all just running at warp speed. You know, like we gotta, we gotta plan the trips, we gotta buy the food, gotta make the meals, gotta buy the gifts, gotta wrap the gifts, gotta hang the lights, gotta put up the tree, gotta get ready for the party. You know, like it's like, we're just running ourselves ragged, you know? Christmas is tiring. Can I get an amen? amen. Yeah, my, my son Judah, uh, he just turned two last month. And so this year's kind of the first year he can really understand and participate in the hustle and bustle. And uh, last week, Rebecca and I caught him on the monitor after he woke up after his nap, just jumping up and down in his crib saying, Merry Christmas over and over again. Take a look here. <laughs> <laughs> and I gotta admit, I'm, I'm just kind of like feeling like that today. You know, we're just like, just trying to keep going at this point. Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. But like really inside, like I'm kind of fried. Is anybody else tired this morning? Yeah. And, and at a deeper level, I think all of us know what it feels like to just be tired. You know, and I'm not just talking about like sleepy on a Sunday morning, but I mean tired, like weary, and I think sometimes, sometimes part of the reason I'm tired, that we're tired, is because there's this gap that we live, this, with, live with. There's, there's this gap between who I am right now and, and who I want to be, like, like who I wish I was. Anybody else feel that? And, and there's this gap, because I'm, I'm not who I want to be yet. And if I'm really honest, if you're really honest, you're not living up to people's expectations, right? right? You're, you're not as productive as your boss thinks you should be. You're not as attentive as your spouse thinks you should be. You're not as fun as your kids or your grandkids think you should be. You don't floss your teeth as much as your dentist thinks you should, you know? <laughs> and like we live with this constant gap that, that we're not doing as well as people think we should. And, and it's not just other people's expectations. We don't even live up to our own expectations. I'm not as patient as I wish I was. I'm not as disciplined as I wish I was. I'm not as spiritually mature as I hoped I would be at this point. And, and, and we definitely don't feel like we're living up to God's expectations, right? Like, like if I asked you today, hey, how's your spiritual life going? You might say, well, you know, it, it, it could be better. I should pray more. I should read my Bible more. Because you think that to be a spiritually mature person, that means you gotta wake up before the sun and spend three hours in prayer and Bible reading and fasting and it just has to be intimate and incredible and awesome and close all the time. And so when it's not, in the day-to-day -day reality, you just kind of feel like a failure because you live with this gap of, of, of the me that I am and the me that I want to be. And we wanna change, right? We wanna grow, we wanna do better, and so we try harder. We try new practices and new commitments and New Year's resolutions, and we try harder to be better, and, and then we get tired, and, and then we uh, you know, miss a few days, and, and then we quit. And then we feel guilty for quitting. And so we try harder all over again and we go through this cycle. Anybody else been through that cycle like a million times? Yeah, and, and it's just tiring because there's this gap. 
and I, I'm not yet who I want to be. And, and so when I live with that cycle, sometimes I just sit back and I think, man, like, is this all there is? <laughs> is that really the point of life? I'm just supposed to try harder to do better and be a nicer person. And, and, and I'm, I'm just tired, you know, you feel that? And, and we're talking about Christmas, right? We're, we're celebrating this year when, and this week when, when Jesus came. And can I tell you what Jesus did not say when he came? Jesus did not say, I have come so that you may try harder to do better, to follow the rules, to be a nicer person. No, no, Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. And I believe that. But then I look at my life and how I'm actually living and I think, well, where's the disconnect? (laughs) What am I missing? Like, what did I get wrong? What do I need? Back in the 20th century, there was a man by the name of William Randolph Hearst. Maybe you've heard that name. He was a newspaper mogul, mega rich. And he was also an avid art collector. And one day, William Randolph Hearst saw a photo of these two stunning, absolutely exquisite works of art. And he decided that he wanted to add them to his personal collection, regardless of the cost. And so after months and months of searching, Mr. Hearst's agent finally came back to him and said, I, we, we've done it. Finally, we've, we've located those paintings that you're after. He says, and the best part is you don't have to pay a dime. You see, he already owned them. (laughs) They were sitting in a box in one of his warehouses with many of his other treasures yet to be unpacked. Here's what I want you to remember this morning. What you need, you already have. What you need, you already have. I want you to take that thought, hold on to it, put it on the shelf. We're gonna come back to it later, okay? If what we need, we already have, then let's talk a little bit about what we have. And this is where the Christmas story comes in because what we have is Jesus. And, and I would have loved to have been there at that first Christmas, wouldn't you? I mean, I mean, I would have loved to have been there when the angel appeared to a small town teenage girl and said, hey, Mary, you're gonna have a baby And he's gonna be the promised Messiah, the deliverer from God that we've all been waiting for for hundreds of years. And Mary took God at his word in faith. And even though she'd done nothing wrong, she was a virgin, she still bore the shame and the scandal of her community and even her fiance thinking that she was an adulteress. But I would have loved to have been there then when an angel came to a blue collar carpenter with calluses on his hands and said, Joseph, It's okay, you can take Mary as your wife because this baby is from God. And then Joseph had the courage to step up alongside Mary and to bear the shame with her. And not only that, but to adopt Jesus as his own son, to raise the perfect son of God. Talk about pressure. (laughs) And I would have loved to have been there when when, when this young girl and her fiance, they're, they're scared and they're unsure. They don't know how it's all gonna work and they have to make a quick trip to Bethlehem, take care of some official paperwork. But while they're gone, far away from home, her water breaks and she starts having contractions. <laughs> and, and so they throw down a blanket and, 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 and right there, where they are, the son of God is delivered with only livestock as the witnesses. And, and I would have loved to have been there on that night when... when There's a couple teenagers and some smelly washed up old men out on the hillside just trying to make sure the sheep don't run away when all of a sudden 
the night sky lights up like a supernova and the heavenly angel choir announces the good news that, hey, the deliverer from God that you've all been waiting for is here right now, tonight, as a baby in a feeding trough. And they're a little confused, but okay. And then they go look for the baby and lo and behold, they find him there in a feeding trough, just like the angel said. And they're so amazed that they just run through the whole town, whooping and hollering, making sure everybody knows what just happened. And I would have loved to have been there when those noble scholars in the East discover an ancient prophecy and then they see a a new star in the night sky shining strangely bright and well, they pack their bags and decide to go chase that star and they do night after night, week after week until it leads them to some rundown, rinky-dink Jewish farm town. And, and when they get there, they, they lay their exotic foreign treasures down and they fall on their knees and they worship a smiling, babbling, spitting baby. And I would have loved to have been there then when, when Mary and Joseph had packed up their donkey and they had to flee because the local king had, had gotten wind of a threat to his throne. But the king of kings was there, descended from his throne in heaven into his mother's arms, nestled there, having to nurse at every pit stop along the road to Egypt. And I would have loved to have been there later on in Nazareth watching that child Jesus grow up because he wasn't like all the other kids. There's, there's just, there's something different, something about the way he prayed, something about the way he read the scripture. It didn't really sound like he was learning. It sounded like he was just kind of remembering something he'd already experienced. And I would have loved to have been there later on when that young man, Jesus, left his carpenter's shop He'd spent the first 30 years of his life building tables and fixing broken benches, but but now he's building a kingdom and fixing broken hearts. And I would have loved to have been there when Jesus preached his first sermon or or, or when when he touched the untouchable leper and the disease vanished. I would have loved to have been there when Jesus turned the funeral into a party, when he raised that dead boy to life, or, or when he went walking across the surface of the lake without even sinking in. Or when, 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 he, when, he looked at the, when he looked at the crashing waves and the torrential downpour of the rain and the gusts of the wind and, and, and he silenced the storm with a single word. I would love to have been there walking the dusty Palestinian roads with Jesus and his buddies. Wouldn't you? Would have been amazing. Which is why what Jesus says in John chapter 16 absolutely floors me. In John chapter 16, Jesus, he's sitting at the Last Supper with his disciples, and these are the people who have been with him. They were there. They saw side by side with their own eyes everything that we read in the Gospels. And this is Thursday night, and so tomorrow Jesus is going to die, and he's telling his friends that he has to go, that he's leaving. And he says to them in John 16, verse 7, he says, But very truly I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. In other words, he's saying, hey guys, it's actually better for you if I leave. And the disciples are confused by that. They're thinking, well, Jesus, how how can it be better if you leave? How is it better for us if we're not with you? And Jesus gives them the answer there in the second half of the verse. He says, unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, right now, yeah, I'm with you and we're side by side and that's great, but that's not why I came. 
I came so that we could be even closer than that. And then the next day, Jesus dies. On Sunday, he raises to life, and then he ascends to the Father. And when he does, he sends the Holy Spirit, God himself, his very presence, not just with his followers, but in them. In other words, Jesus' departure does not mean less of his presence, but more of it. Better to be here than there. Wow. For the last month, we've been going through this Christmas series using different prepositions to explore how God relates to us. And we talked about God revealing himself, God to us. And we talked about God becoming man, God with us. We talked about God sacrificing himself, God for us. And today we're talking about the point of it all. That Jesus came at Christmas and died at Good Friday and rose again on Easter so that he could live in us. God in us. That's amazing. And yet, circling back, Sometimes we're still just tired, you know? Like, yeah, I believe that this is true. I believe that the Holy Spirit lives in me, and yet sometimes I don't really feel it. I don't feel like I got resurrection power pulsing through my veins. Sometimes I'm just tired. And I read a survey recently that happened not too long ago that said that over 60% of Americans say that they have made a personal commitment to Jesus that is still important in their lives today. Now, if that's true, then shouldn't we see a radically different society than we do? Shouldn't this country just be absolutely transformed? So where's the hangup? What's the disconnect? What are we missing? If what we need, we already have, if God lives in us, then, then what's the hangup? I... I think that maybe the hang-up, maybe the lack of transformation lies in what we think it means to be a Christian. Because if we think that being a Christian means just believing that the stuff the Bible says happened actually happened, and that then Jesus gives you a get-out-of-hell-free card so that you can go to heaven when you die, then no wonder we sometimes feel a lack of transformation. No wonder our country isn't different, right? Because that's not why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come so that you could keep living however you want to live with just a little bit of Bible as a cherry on top. Jesus didn't come to hop in the passenger seat of your life while you just keep driving wherever you want to go, and then when you get stuck, you can say, Jesus, take the wheel. Jesus didn't come just so that you can live your best life with a little bit of motivational spirituality sprinkled in. No, Jesus came to live in you. To be a Christian is to have Jesus living in you. In fact, the the Bible hardly ever even uses that term. The word Christian only appears three times in Scripture. But even just the Apostle Paul describes our faith, this salvation, as being in Christ around 165 times. To be a Christian is to be in union with Christ. That's what I want to focus on today. To to be a Christian is to have union with Christ with Christ, us in him, and he in us. First John chapter four says it like this, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. And if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. Now, if that's true, 
If the God who created the cosmos and is the king of the angels and is the ruler of nature and time and science, if the God of the universe takes up residence and dwells in your body, well, then we can't just go on living like we did before, right? Something has to change if we really are in union with Christ. So so let's look just here, just a little bit at at a few of the things the Bible says about being in union with Christ. First, like we've already said, scripture says that to be a Christian is to have Jesus living in us. That's the test of our faith. 2 Corinthians 13 says, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And the Bible says that that union with Christ begins when we are baptized, that in your baptism through faith, you uh, were, were, were crucified with Christ, buried with Christ, and raised to new life with him. Romans 6, Paul says, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now, if that's true, then that means that we grow, we transform, we change, we become righteous and holy, not by trying harder, but by embracing Christ through faith. Paul describes this process for him in Philippians 3. He says, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. And I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I wanna know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And if that's true, then that means that living the Christian life doesn't just mean coming to church on Sunday to get our little dose of Jesus and then going back out and doing whatever we want Monday through Saturday. That means that the Christian life is a lot more like what Jesus describes in John 15 when he says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's a humbling truth because if that's true, then that means we are not at the center of our own world. That means that our lives are not about us. Rather, it means that everything in our lives is from Jesus, with Jesus, for Jesus, to Jesus, and through Jesus. Everything in life and death revolves around him. That's what Paul says in Romans 14. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Now that's a lot of stuff and it's fairly complicated, right? This is deep, we're going deep today. But finally, Paul just decides to simplify it when he's talking about what this life in Christ is like, what this Christian life is. He he tells us in Philippians chapter one and, and, and he does not say to live is to try harder. He does not say to live is to believe that the Bible is true and then work really hard to try to be a nicer person. No, he says, for me, to live is Christ. What you need, you already have. Maybe my very favorite verse in the whole Bible is Galatians chapter two, verse 20, in which Paul describes his union with Christ. And he says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. 
So the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Notice Paul does not say that this life I now live in the body, I live by trying really hard to follow Jesus' example. No, no, no. He says Christ lives in me. The Christian life is not just a matter of trying to behave like Jesus and do good things, but it's a matter of actually allowing Jesus to live through you. Because you are no longer separate from Jesus, outside of Jesus, close to Jesus, beneath Jesus, before Jesus, near Jesus, or even just with Jesus. You are in Jesus. And Jesus is in you. I think we just gotta take a step back for a second and let that soak. Take a deep breath of that reality. I'm gonna invite my buddies Drew and Luke to come on up here and help me, help me illustrate this a little bit. Now, uh, Drew and, and Luke, y'all, y'all look good. You guys are, are dressed nicely for Christmas, I see. We got a good looking audience here today. I see a lot of red Christmas sweaters out there, don't you? We got a good looking crew. They look a little warm, don't you think? They look a little hot in those sweaters. Let's, let's, let's cool them off. Come here, boys. See if we can help me. Let's get this fan going. Um, uh, let's, do you have mind blowing on this for me? See if, you can, see if you can get it going. How's that working for you? Not very well, is it? No. At least you're not an airhead like your dad, right? That's, that's, the, that's the pro here. Yeah. Well, let's try something else. See if, see if you can spin that fan. See if you can spin that. Okay. There you go. Good job, fellas. Nice work. So here's, here, you guys, you cool off the room for a bit while I keep preaching, okay? You guys keep going. You get the room cool. cool. I'm, I'm going to keep preaching, okay? Okay. Now, I think if you're here this morning and you're tired, then maybe you're tired because you're trying too hard. <laughs> and there's a greater power available to you. You see, God's plan was never for you to just try really hard to become a better person because people have been trying better and trying to be better all along and yet every single person has failed because we have hard, wicked, and twisted hearts. That's never God's plan. God's plan all along was something different and he tells us that plan. In Colossians chapter one, Paul says, the mystery that's been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, that's us, the glorious riches of the mystery, which is, drum roll please, what's the mystery, Paul? What's God's plan? How's he gonna save us? How's he gonna transform us? How do we become who we were meant to be? What's our hope, Paul? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now recently, a friend pointed me to a Bible study on this verse by Louis Giglio. And Louis Giglio says that the way Paul words that verse there is is really important because there's a big difference between our hope being Christ in you and Christ and you. If our hope is Christ and you, Christ and us, then we have to work really hard at this, right? That Jesus is here, he's like kind of like the cheerleader, you know, but, but it's still up to you to try really hard and do better. And so let, let's try this. Let's see how well you do. If our hope is Christ and you, let's take a little test today, okay? Galatians chapter five is the fruit of the spirit. Let's look at the fruit of the spirit here. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now look at that list and be really honest with yourself. Ask yourself the hard questions. Do you have more of that than the non-Christian people that you know? Are, are you more joyful than your atheist neighbor? Are you more patient than your Buddhist friend? Are you more self-controlled than your non-believing buddies? Do you know what it's like to be filled with a deep inner peace no matter what kinds of chaos is going on in your life? Do you know that? Do you have that? And, and, and if not, 
If you worry and strive and grieve and gossip and snap, just like everybody else around you, then there's a problem, isn't there? And if Paul would have said that our hope is Christ and you, then it's up to you to do better. Try harder. Get it together. But the thing is that you can't manufacture more love. You can't just grip your, grit your teeth and try to come up with some more patience. You, you, you can't look in the mirror and say, I'm gonna be a more self-controlled person. You can't just come up with it. Eventually it'll fail you because you're not strong enough. The thing is, the Christian life isn't just difficult. It's impossible. You can't do it. There's only one guy who ever did do it all perfectly and correctly, and they named it after him, Jesus. You tired yet, fellas? Not too bad, keep going. (laughs) Try harder. (laughs) That's why our hope is not Christ and you. Your hope is Christ in you. God knows that you don't have the strength to become who he's asking you to be. You can't do it. And so he's not betting on you. He's betting on himself living through you, in you. A mentor of mine says it like this. When we are at the end of our capacity, Christ is at the beginning of his sufficiency. And so if you're tired this morning, maybe, just maybe, you see this gap between who you are and who you wanna be, and you've just been trying harder and trying harder and trying harder over and over and over again, and yet you've come face to face over and over and over again with your own futility, your own inability, when really you need to come face to face with Christ's sufficiency. You guys tired yet? Oh, you changed your tune, I see, okay, yeah. Well, you you think there's a better way we could do this? The room's still kinda hot. You guys have been trying hard, but you're not really getting it. I'm sorry, hate to break it to you. What do you think we should do? Plug it in. That's a great idea, Drew. I knew I could count on you. Plug, Plug that bad boy in, Luke. Let's see what happens. Well done. Give Drew and Luke a round of applause, would you? Good job, fellas. You can go back down. Good job, good job. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the only power that's gonna make it happen. So, practically, how then do we live? Well, Paul said it back in Galatians chapter two, verse 20. Let's read it again. He said, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ in you. What you need you already have. We live this life by faith. So if you're tired this morning, then I want you to have faith. I want you to have faith that God is in you and he is working in you and he is going to accomplish what he is doing in you through his power, not yours. And today, if you're hurting, that I want you to have faith that the comforter is not just with you, but that he's actually in you and he will heal your heart and he is right now actively working for your good. And today, if you're feeling guilty, then have faith that if you follow Jesus, the Jesus who died for you now lives in you so that when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Christ and not the stain of your sin. And today, if you're anxious, have faith that the God who, who knows all things and has all power and loves all people and is all good 
lives in you and he wants to bring you peace. And today, if you're here and you've been a Christian for a long time and you're honestly feeling pretty good, good, good for you. I want you to have faith that the Christ who lives in you wants to use you to bless and challenge those around you. And if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus and this is all kind of foreign and it's kind of new to you, I want you to know that you can have this. You can have God himself living in you, union with Christ. This kind of amazing life is available to you today and you don't just have to try harder to be a better person. We'd love to walk that road with you. You can find somebody in a blue t-shirt. You can come up to talk to Steve or I after the service. You can go to mypcc.info, tap on the baptism card and we will get in touch with you. We'd love to meet with you, have a conversation. Christ in you, the hope of glory, what you need, you already have. A few years back, there was a, a musician in a subway station in Washington, D.C. You can see him there uh, on the left side of the screen setting up. He just looks like a normal street musician playing his violin. And the people walking by aren't really paying much attention. But what they don't know is that this is a social experiment and that that man is Joshua Bell who was voted the top classical musician in America. Uh, just three days before this, Joshua Bell sold out a theater in Boston. It was a packed house. People paid over $100 a seat to hear him play his violin. The violin he's playing right there is a Stradivarius, made in 1713 that he paid $3.5 million for. And he plays here in the subway station in D.C. for 45 minutes, and he plays arguably the greatest solo works ever written for the violin. And yet nobody really cares. Of the 1,097 people who walk by him, a grand total of seven stop and linger to listen. Only one recognizes him. So maybe this year, in the Christmas season, during the hustle and the bustle, when you're tired and when you're busy and when it's loud, just stop. Just stop to rest in God and to remember God in you. Linger and listen. Because what you need, you already have. Christ is in you. The master is here and he is doing something beautiful. So don't miss it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are in us. What a marvelous truth. It changes everything. And we're here today, Lord, and we're still just, we're still tired. And our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And we've been trying harder over and over again. And we're not, we're not who we want to be. We're not who you want us to be yet, Lord. But we recognize that you are limitless in your resources unstoppable in your power that you are able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. So we simply ask that you would make us more aware of you in us, that you would speak and we will just listen, that you would make your home in our hearts and that you would finish the work you began. We're here again at this time of year 
remembering how you came to us to be with us. And we're here again at this time of the week to take communion, the, the bread and the juice, to remember that you came to us to be with us, to die for us, so that you would then live in us. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.